Welcome to Southeast Asia's Growth Leaders, the podcast dedicated to the Southeast Asia high growth and early stage scene, where we ask industry leaders and experts for their experiences, insights, and advice on how to build and scale sustainable businesses in the region. My name is Sam Randall, and I am a partner at True Search. True is the world's leading executive search platform for technology and tech-enabled companies. Since our inception, we have partnered with tech startups throughout their growth phase from pre-seed to post-IPO. With over 300 search professionals in 14 offices across North America, Europe, Middle East and Asia, we have a modern and innovative approach, working with the founder and investor community to advise and assist in successfully scaling their businesses. With a decade of Southeast Asia search experience in technology, I lead the high growth and early stage practice for True in the region. I help startups through high growth stages with advice on talent and hiring, as well as providing search for co-founders, leaders and technical experts. This week on Southeast Asia Growth Leaders, we enjoy the esteemed company of Hollywood, the head of talent at Golden Gate Ventures, Christiane Ballard, talent acquisition manager at B Capital Group, and Rachel Ong, chief of staff at Wavemaker Partners. In the first of a bumper two-part series, we explore some of the common themes encountered by founders and get some really valuable insights on using a competency-based approach to ensure that you are building an organization using industry best practices. This group collectively represents over 300 active portfolio companies, assets under management of over 1.5 billion US dollars and $1 billion worth of undeployed capital. So if you're looking for funding, I highly recommend that you listen to what they have to say today. So thank you all for coming onto the show. Um, how, how have you all been? How has lockdown been, uh, how's lockdown been for you all? It was, it was okay at first. It was okay at first, but now, now like all of the like the the house tours have been done now all of the mini projects have been done and and now it's it's wearing a little thin yeah <laughs> and anybody did anybody learn a new language or, or a new programming language or learn anything new yeah i mean as aspirational as i think i was in february um no you know what i found interesting though uh i downloaded the Masterclass app i don't know if you guys have used that yet but they they had some really great discounts on Masterclass. so i've been poking around at Masterclass. not relevant to my job but i did sign up for a course uh to learn about how to become a sommelier for the lockdown um taste testing wines but um yeah, that was that was a, a fun experience, actually. So I definitely recommend that app. Well, I have been in lockdown with my four-year-old daughter. She's only <laughs> just returned to school recently, so I'm very happy about that. But I have learned how to paper mache, build castles <laughs> with cardboard boxes, turn toilet rolls into a lot of different things. <laughs> great skills <laughs> I, I can imagine you've got new levels of patience as well i've got a four and a five-year-old so i I'm, I'm definitely i'm definitely hearing you on that so yeah. um, they may well join us later so what it would be great to start with is just really understanding what it is you guys actually do um what your what your roles are and how you how you sort of work within your businesses and i, I guess um if it's okay rachel i'd like to come to you first on on that yeah, so I am the Chief of Staff at Wavemaker Partners. Um, so what I do is I look after the organizational development for Wavemaker Partners internally, but I also lead the community and platform function. 
So the community and platform function is um, our way to provide uh, support to our portfolio companies through our community of like advisors, service providers, corporates, investors, talent, media relationships, government, and so on and so forth. So it's really about building and nurturing the communities and then connecting them. And I, I think you guys have got sort of portfolio companies numbered into the hundreds. So I can imagine that keeps you um, keeps you incredibly busy. Incredibly. So we had to look for ways to not only do that sort of high touch one on one support through our investment team, but we also had to create this community and platform function to do more of a, a scalable support. So we're north of 100 at the moment. That's fascinating. And how has how has that been going? What's the um, the organizational headaches like in trying to get something like that off the off the ground? Yeah, well, it's a lot of experimentation. Um, we're um, trialing out a lot of different types of initiatives. We're leveraging technology. We're really um, honing in on building our community groups. Um, so we've got different people on the team dedicated to building different parts of the community. So, um, so for example, myself, I would look after um, building up our advisor base, our service providers, um, and also our talent base. Great. Um, and okay, so um, next, um, I'll come to I'll come to you, Ollie. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about your your function within within Golden Gate Ventures. Um, so uh, for me, I'm very very focused on supporting the portfolio on the talent side of things um, specifically. Um, so uh, it's mainly helping helping to leverage our branding and leverage our network um, both locally, regionally, and globally to uh, help to introduce senior folks to our portfolio. That is the absolute, that is the most important part of what I do, um, especially for those companies who are at an earlier stage who, um, who if they go out to try and attract talent, it's gonna be a lot more difficult for them because their branding isn't quite there yet and their network isn't quite there yet. Um, so yeah, helping them with those, those senior hires when they're hiring for uh, a, a specific um, function that they've not hired for particularly, that, that comes up quite often. Um, and, uh, and, and generally just advising them as much as I can on any areas of, of talent that they're, that they're having difficulty. And if I can't answer that stuff myself, which can be quite often, um, then, then uh, helping them to find the people who can support them on those areas. Thank you. And lastly, to you, Christian, um, tell me a little bit about your function. So uh, I'm a talent acquisition manager at B Capital uh, Group, and what that means is um, I'm part of a team that drives value for portfolio companies. Um, across a broad range of talent uh, initiatives. Um, so our team focuses on everything from uh, hiring initiatives through to retention uh, or you know, leader and team effectiveness. And, and really where I focus, um, similar to what Ali mentioned on introducing um, candidates to portfolio companies, uh, part of my job is also uh, not only to kind of continue to build, but also to help scale. Uh, so that would be getting our portfolio companies in front of top talent, helping them with the recruitment process uh, as well, but also introducing playbooks or initiatives that are going to help their talent acquisition teams uh, scale and become more effective over time. Okay, great. Thank you. And thank you everybody for those for those intros. Um, I guess my first question really is, um, what are the common themes that your your founders engage you for? What what are the sort of the common uh, the common questions that you get or the common uh, issues that you see people facing that you guys have to have to come in and help for? 
Yeah, I'm probably going to speak in um, a, a broader level. So our founders, um, I think, look to us for some support um, around the areas of talent. So hiring people is always a huge challenge. Um, fundraising is another um, type of support that we help with and also finding their customers. So because we're quite early stage, I think helping them find that sort of first marquee customer or their first few customers um, is rather impactful. Yeah, I'll leave it to the others to speak a little bit more specifically about talent. Yeah, yeah, talent, exactly that. So finding the right person, um, highly visible, specifically highly visible, highly critical roles um, at points of um, you know critical growth. I would say um, individuals who are going to help um, create um, you know, that next kind of transformation for those companies, whether it be a um, CFO, uh, head of um, engineering, uh, again, individuals who are really going to help take what already exists and then get that team to the next level and help them scale. Uh, so, you know, that's introducing talent, but it's also kind of working together to really understand the ways where, you know, this person fits uh, perfectly into the mission. Um, they have very specific outcomes and they're really going to help elevate the team that's already in place. Two very specific um, areas that we get up coming up um, a lot, particularly at early stage, and it's something that we also drive a little bit, um, is we either have a founder who's very, very strong at fundraising, who's um, great on the product strategy, um, and uh, uh, yeah, it's usually quite good at sales um, and winning those first clients. For them, we tend to focus a little more on finding them a, a, a really strong COO. Um, and then on the flip side, we get those um, very strong founders who, those founders, sorry, who are very strong at building the companies, but they're not, you know, they're, they're, they're not the greatest salespeople. Um, they, you know, if, if they could, they would shy away from uh, the fundraising side of things and have them, um, have someone else do it for them. That's where we look for a, a really strong CFO um, uh, on a regular basis. So those are the two main hires that we kind of try and help with, um, or we get requests for. Um, and then on the advisory side, it's it's often how to hire. Like, how do you hire a head of sales? Like, what do you look for? Unfortunately, when a lot of them are, are, are hiring, say, a head of sales, they, they aren't used to how much the kind of head of sales might sell to them. Um, and we often see people hiring uh, a new head of sales every six months um, because they don't know how to qualify the head of sales in the first place. So we try, I try to give them a bit of guidance um, and we get a lot of requests around um, helping to hire that, that head of sales and how to interview them um, and all that sort of thing. And do, do you feel that that's one way that the founders perhaps can leverage you guys a bit better is by bringing you into that process a little bit earlier, helping to define the role, helping to really understand if what the um, uh, what they're looking for is actually what they what they need? Yeah, I, I feel so because a, a lot of the time the um, the the raising of the, uh, the 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 requisition in the first place is is from uh, a, a direct need, you know. Uh, they've suddenly realized that they need something so they immediately run out to market and you know or engage recruiters or whatever to to go and find this thing and yet they haven't often when I'm when they come to me asking for this person they haven't really sat down and and thought about what what are the actual you know how is this role defined um where do we have the skills inside already 
um, you know, uh, how much responsibility are we going to give this person? How much growth? Um, how much leadership within the business are they going to give? So just kind of like acting as a sounding board for them in terms of um, thrashing out what the role would be in the first place. That usually leads to the conversation around how to hire the person or how to find uh, these these people and how to ask the right questions in interview to get them. Because as I say, a lot of them have never, you know, this is often the first time they've ever hired um, these people. And do you, do you find that's the same with the, the later stage businesses, Christian, too? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, like what Ali mentioned, it's not only who to hire, but how to hire. Um, and that's what I see oftentimes in, in my interactions as well is um, not necessarily directly with founders, but working with um, talent acquisition teams at that point in that in their growth um, to refine the processes that are in place. So, you know, uh, as opposed to earlier stage, yeah, you know, you want to spend some time to understand the how, the mechanics of how to actually get that person on board. But I think later stage, it's more so, okay, what's going to be the standardization of that process moving forward at scale and doing that in a repeatable, measurable way. Um, so those are kind of some of the, the things that I work on with more of the, the talent acquisition team. So, you know, what are going to be the consistent competencies that we look for in certain functions when we hire? So there's consistency as far as the individuals and their skill set. And then we can also identify certain gaps so we can add that kind of diversity of perspective there and ability. Um, so it's less about like the mechanics of actually getting that person in the kind of butt in seat. It's more about how do we do that at scale and reduce as much friction as possible. So you know you can use data, go out, find the person that you're that you need to hire because you know based on experience and based on digging into the competencies and the data and how they perform the job, you know what you need to hire for and what works. Um, so uh, trying to, to get teams to kind of see it from that angle. Okay, interesting. So it's like the industrialization of a process to bring it aligned to the to the company to make sure that that's as smooth a smoother process as possible. Um, yeah, exactly. One one of the really interesting points you touched on there was the the competency based sort of assessment part of of the um uh, of the uh, of the assessment process. Um, I, I appreciate that might be something that's perhaps easier to industrialize in uh, later stage businesses. But do, do you guys have any opinions on how you could bring that into um, into earlier stage, uh, into earlier stage businesses. Perhaps Rachel, you might be able to help. <laughs> yeah, I might jump in there. So uh, look, this is just obviously my opinion, but I personally think that it's like the earlier, the better. Um, and it doesn't have to be a complex MBA kind of framework that you're trying to replicate. Um, you just have to understand the objective of why do a competency framework if at the beginning, you know, um, a few of your roles only require, you know, three or four competencies, and that's enough, you don't have to overcomplicate it. But the earlier you start um, having these sorts of structures in place, um, the the more scalable I think um, your your talent function will be in the future. Can I can I jump in? I'm I'm very much an amateur on the competency based side of things, and uh, maybe some of the, the leaders in in the companies who are listening to this are as well. I would genuinely love from uh, you, Rachel, like, like, what's the first step in terms of actually building it in, building in kind of competency-based reviewing? Okay, so, okay, I might launch into this whole thing, so stop me at any time, but um, I think at the very, very beginning, you've got to look at, um, at, at your vision, your mission, 
and your values. That really is your North Star. So if you imagine a pyramid, I would say those things are really at the base of the pyramid because they are your foundation. Um, based on what you determine to be your you know, mission, vision and values, um, you then set up your systems, processes, your organizational design. So it is um, dependent on your values. So at that point, um, that's when you start structuring the org. I think, um, you know, at the very early stage, it shouldn't be so complex. You probably have a handful of functions, core functions or core processes within your business. That's when you start to outline what are the competencies that you need within each of those functions. Um, you know, and if let's say I'm gonna use an example where uh, enterprise sales is a function, where then you know competency could be that they are um you know very adept at i don't know lead generation b2b lead generation and that is a competency that they um need to have from that point on and as your business grows and as it scales you can now use this competency framework for a lot of different things because that should be the starting point of your um, interview scorecards for your performance reviews and when you start introducing things like role leveling um, when you start introducing things like salary banding, your job description, all of that, I think, um, comes from your competency framework. And I guess if we're looking at sort of, uh, you know, an early stage environment, uh, perhaps a slightly unstructured and chaotic environment, how, how challenging can it be to uh, apply that framework to, um, to this level of business? Um, you, know, if you, I, I, you know, if you could perhaps give us one or two hot tips on how founders might be able to, to, to bring that in. Yeah, I think it's um, the whole chaos in early stage startups. I actually feel it's a bit of a facade because I actually think a lot of early stage startups have a lot of structure within their chaos. <laughs> I think what um, the structure needs to have is that flexibility to adapt. So yes, you have that competency framework and yes, you probably expect it to change every three months or six months or continue to, uh, to grow, but um, you're going to have to allow for it. And that's not to say that it's completely chaotic and there's no structure behind it. Um, there's flexibility built into that structure. Okay, interesting. So you might, um, sort of the, 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 the competency framework is, a, is a, I guess, a dynamic thing depending on the stage of the company. And it might be the sort of thing you want to review every three, six, nine, 12 months. Always, yeah, absolutely. And that goes, um, I think that's the same for like all your systems, your processes, um, your organizational design. Um, you need to keep revisiting it. Those are not things that you do once off and then forget about. I feel like those are actually live. <laughs> they should be revisited on a in a live manner. And do you do you guys typically see, I, I guess a lot of your work is sort of outreach to your uh, founders. Um, do, do you guys see them thinking of you at the right time when they should be doing this? Or do you feel that they should come to you earlier? Um, you know, what, what's the what's the sort of vision on, on, on that? I think I, I, I think there's an innate feeling of at first when I was doing this job, the first maybe 12 months, um, I, I felt a bit sorry for myself when I was like, oh, they're not coming to me. They don't, you know, I'm supposed to be sort of helping them on this and I'm free and, and you know, we're from their investors and they should listen to us, which is wrong, which is wrong. Like there, there is a natural feeling to feel that they should come to you earlier. Um, I think most of them will come to you when they're ready um, to have that conversation. And I think if I, I realized um, that when I tried to push in and try to kind of, uh have the conversation before they were ready to have it um often it was melt like even if i even if they allowed me the room to kind of give the advice 
um, they often didn't sort of heed it or didn't care for it so much. Um, I think it's let them know that you're there and make sure that, you know, obviously I want our, our partners and staff to make sure that the company, you know, those companies are aware that my I'm, I'm available. But um, as I say, they will come to you when they're ready and they and when they do, they will be more open. Yes, there are cases where it's like, I wish they'd have come to me earlier before um, they got X person on board because if I'd have been to help them with the interview process, I feel I could have helped them to avoid that. But that's a natural feeling, but it's also kind of wrong. Like they've got to make their own mistakes. You can't do this stuff for them. Um, and I am purely an advisor. Like I'm not there to enforce. I'm not there to tell them how to do. And you've got to build that relationship over time, I feel. Um, that that's kind of the, the way I try to manage it. Um, there's no, there's no perfect answer. To, I don't think to when is the right time to start engaging with them. I guess on the, on the topic of talent, um, where do you see the greatest shortages and where do you see the greatest challenges on, on hiring people into the portfolios? Um, obviously there's a lot of talk about tech shortage, you know, product management particularly is a new, a new, newer field where there's a lot of, a lot of demand for, um, perhaps if I can come to you, Christian, uh, where do you see the, um, the sort of biggest gaps in talent at this stage? Yeah, sure. And I think it depends on, you know, where you're looking to hire, um, from a kind of location-based uh, perspective. I think that, um, you know, specifically in Singapore, you know, we've seen some uh, maybe shortage, shortages, like you mentioned on the, on the engineering side. I think more specifically with regard to data engineering, um, data scientists, uh, data visualization type of, uh, of roles. Um, but uh, again, I think that oftentimes, um, you know, I think oftentimes uh, companies have in mind, you know, the exact profile that they're looking for. And, you know, again, going back to um, not to not to, to talk too much about the competencies, but going back to, um, you know, focusing on an outcomes based approach when you're hiring for someone, you know, trying to really figure out why this person exists and what exactly do they need to accomplish will help you to broaden the scope of the profiles that you're looking for and not be too specific to specific skills and specific qualifications. And I think that's one way I would advise portfolio companies to think a little bit more about who they actually need. Because it's really easy to say that doesn't exist or, you know, there's not that that person doesn't have that skill set or it's really hard to find. Sometimes um, we create these filters that make it more even difficult to find. So I think if you are to open up your, your, um, net in the beginning and again focus more so on what are the outcomes i need this person to be able to achieve and how do they need to act within my organization to achieve those it'll really broaden the scope and it won't leave you too narrowly focused on um, particular industries or particular skills you know what are you willing to train that person on or what are you willing to you know um skip uh, as far as their abilities and not spend too much time in the recruiting process when that person could potentially upskill, um, whether that would, you know, that's through additional, um, you know, uh, uh, courses or trainings or, you know, some things that they can do on the side. Oh, fascinating. And and for the earlier stage business, perhaps Rachel, do you, do you see the same, the same challenges for, for businesses within your portfolio? Um, 
I think I'm going to talk again in a, in a broader sense because, um, I mean, yes, everyone knows hiring engineers is a struggle and like, you know, data, all the technical roles are difficult. Um, however, I feel that there is a huge shortage around um, startup minded, especially early stage startup minded talent. <laughs> and if I'm going to, I guess, define that a little bit more, I think that's actually across all um, functional areas. Um, these are the people that have the ability to I don't know, think holistically, but then also become execution driven and roll their sleeves up when, when they need to. These are the people that can be a leader and, and kind of be strategic, but can also, you know, get down and dirty and be very detail oriented. Um, they have grit, they have resilience, um, they persevere, they thrive in being able to operate in that gray area <laughs> and being um, uh, in an ever-changing environment. I kind of feel that that kind of um, uh, outlook is, is actually the shortage. Yeah. yeah, actually, I like what you said there because, um, uh, you know, take, I'm just trying to figure out the best way to put this, like almost take like a, a marketing approach to your recruitment process, right? So who's the persona that you're going after? And take a look at your entire recruitment process from the way you're sourcing. Like I mentioned, kind of casting a slightly broader net and being more outcomes driven versus just looking at a qualification list, right? Mm -hmm. um, but also focusing on, you know, am I representing my brand in a way in which meets that persona, so especially for engineers, right? Like if you were to read your job description, would you apply or would knowing the engineering talent, would you be enticed to apply um, your in-mails? You know, what about that speaks to the project work that they get to do? You know, we know engineers are inspired by the, the work that they get to do, the things they get to transform, the things they get to create, you know, how, aspirational are those in-mails or is it more so here's another engineering job so in a way it's more difficult because there's a lot of recruiters kind of canceling each other out and there's a lot of noise so candidates end up just turning off unless you can really distinguish yourself and think a little bit more about you know who's my persona and how am I actually actively meeting them um, and getting in front of them and attracting them to me um, versus expecting them to, to convert with you know the existing content I already have out there. I think one of, one of my one of my pet hates is a, a recruiters when people cut and paste a job description into LinkedIn and hit send. So there's nothing, there's nothing really aspirational about that, right? You've got to really you've got to speak to speak to a person's sort of ambitions and speak to what really excites them in that in that in that sort of message. And Rachel, exactly. you're going to say something there, so. No, I was just going to add to Christian's point. I really like what you said about, um, you know, not be too narrow minded about the specific skill or specific industry or qualification that they must have. Um, you know, I think. If you um, find a candidate with all of those things I mentioned, like the grit and resilience and being holistic as well as execution driven, that um, will certainly outweigh a lot of the specific skills that you think you need um, for a specific role. Yeah, yeah, and and adding just one more thing, um, especially with speaking with you know hiring managers, whether they be founders, you know heads of functions, etc., uh, you know asking one basic question uh, when it's hard to find talent, when there's a deficit of some sort. You know, putting the question back on that individual to ask, you know, what have they done to generate more awareness around them as a leader, their teams, the work that they're doing in the company. And oftentimes, you know, leaders don't necessarily think that's necessarily their job. It's either the recruiting job or, or an agency, for example. So, um, and this is where I really just recommend leaning into content and, you know, think about, you know, what we're 
completely consuming right now, especially, you know, this is, you have a captive audience during COVID-19 for the most part. You're on, you're on LinkedIn, you're online a ton, you're doing a lot of research more than ever. Um, a quick video, um, a quick, you know, Facebook Live, something that just shows who you are as a leader, what you're doing to differentiate yourself and the team, and, um, you know, really cool projects that you might be working on, you know, what makes your design process better than any other design process in, in any other company or, or what makes your, the learning opportunities on your team exciting. So just kind of taking that value proposition, um, what you tend to sell people on during the interview and just talk about that externally. I, I, I definitely have seen uh, in the uh, sort of in the, the people that I've spoken to that a tendency to, I guess, over index on some some uh, academic qualifications, you know, perhaps it might be they want uh, an MBA from a particular university or come from a particular school. Obviously, the, the I guess the the benefit of that is that it's um, it's very easy to screen in and out. So it makes your screening process immediately a lot simpler and you have a perceived value from it. But how, how do you get to a screening process where you're, you're looking more to find somebody that has particular behaviors or particular competencies as opposed to particular qualifications or particular sort of bullet points? Um, and maybe that's not an answer to that, but I guess I'd be interested to see how you guys would approach that. Um, during a kickoff call with my hiring managers, typically what I'll have them do with me is, you know, that what tends to happen is, you know, we, you know, you might receive a job description or, um, a list of qualifications to your point. While that is all well and good, what I try to get my hiring managers to do is with me build out a bullion string. So um, for hiring managers or individuals listening who don't necessarily know what a bullion string is, it's basically an algorithm to search LinkedIn more effectively and filter um, for what you're looking for. And a bullion string is typically broken down into job titles. So what are all the different shapes and forms that job title if you were looking for, um, you know, a, I don't know, a head of engineering? What are all the different shapes and forms that job title might come in? Um, what are the skills, so the harder skills that that person needs, and that kind of goes hand in hand with the job description. And then there's action words. So there's like verbs. What is that person doing? And that really helps me um, to uncover exactly kind of, again, the outcomes-based approach of, of what is that person doing in this job? What do they need to do? And those are the types of words uh, that I look for when I'm searching for candidates, the actions they've taken in the past that allow me to understand if they can actually execute in this job. So those are some of the things I do. And when you have a hiring manager break it down into words like that and kind of go through that process, they kind of start putting, you know, you can kind of see the gears moving because they start putting it together like, oh, okay, this is exactly what I need. And sometimes it varies completely from the job description, but going through that process really helps you narrow in yeah. what the person is going to be doing and what you need. So um, that's one way that, that's one exercise that I, that I would recommend for any recruiter to go through with a hiring manager. On, on top of that, um, and, and that is 100% like that, I, I, I count myself as a, a vis like more visual um, than, than anything else um, in terms of how I process it. And I'm always trying to um, get, a, a, get an idea from the manager of, um, you know, what do they visualize this person doing? What are they um, seeing them getting on with so that I can kind of visualize it? And then when I'm, you know, uh, apart from kind of going through the basic qualification questions and competencies, whatever, like understanding by the end of it, can I picture this person doing this job? Am I getting a sense of that? Because if I can picture it, then there's a good chance that the person who I pass them on to will be able to picture them 
doing it and that to me is an introduced uh, rather than uh, I suppose the, the ultimate qualifier that's my job like I, I just want them to be able to visualize this person um, doing the job the 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 second part is is also there there's usually this kind of image that a, a hiring manager has of what this person will do functionally now um, and they will use that's that's the image you kind of get from a job description description this is the person i want right now this is where they've come from this is um, what they're going to be doing for me if they start tomorrow on the ground etc rather than what's the journey you want them to go on what is the thing that you want them to build to do to like to create for you like where are they going to be in 12 80 months time and often they because the like i was saying before the need has come from is built up um, and then suddenly like, oh shit, we need to hire this person now because we're behind on this kind of thing. They haven't necessarily, uh, they're, they're thinking the next, you know, few days, next few months. They're not usually thinking about the longer term and finding out um, that longer term of the, the, the journey, what they want them to get over in a long, long um, over a longer period of time not only can you help that does that really help identify well you can tell if someone's kind of done that kind of project before or built that or you can get a much better feel for whether someone has the potential of fulfilling that journey and you can find out then there's the sell side as well you can start to find out do they want to go on that journey is that a journey that they've conceived of before um if it is if you're introducing it to them for the first time are they excited about that or are you do you feel like you're pushing them into it and actually they're not going to want to do this they're not going to feel comfortable doing this and therefore there's not much point in pushing them in into the process so for me that as i say that longer term um uh aspect of what they want to get out of this that's when you get some really juicy material and it helps I, I do think it helps the hiring manager with their thinking about um exactly what they want it feeds back into that as well yeah that's a really good point you know the their ability to map out that vision and what they expect also ties into selling a candidate like here are the things that we expect you know you, you, you have the the potential to do here are all the things that you have the potential to create the impact that you're able to have um and that's really important to weave that into the conversation and you know in addition to the bullion string exercise i'll often ask my hiring managers again the job description is any you know anyone can make a job description it's really in in, in the ability to kind of extract um as much information as possible um about behavior and i think that you know one of the the questions that I really like to, to index on is, all right, 30, let's not say 30, let's say 90 days in, you're sitting down with this individual, you're having your first check-in, first kind of pseudo-performance review. How do you expect that conversation to be going? What do you have expected that person to have achieved at that point? And then let's look at maybe a year. What is that person expected to have achieved at that point? And, and maybe the person in question that you're hiring hasn't necessarily done everything they need to do everything that you've expected them to do in that one year, but can they grow into that role as well? So just again, it just gives you a spectrum of, you know, do they have the capacity to grow into this role? Um, and to Ollie's point, like, do, do we think they could ever really do that job to its fullest extent? Um, so those are, again, some questions that I'd recommend uh, thinking through, just imagining yourself in these kind of 90 day, six month, a year check-ins. What, what do you expect of this person at those points? And I, I feel that this is one of the questions that we perhaps don't ask enough, particularly around high growth businesses. Um, 
you know, when you're defining a role for today, it's like, do you want somebody that's going to do that role and then grow into the next one? Because invariably it's going to grow very, grow very quickly. Or do you want somebody that can do the role that it needs to be in 12 months time and grow the business to that to that perspective? And obviously the, the, the two people typically come with different price points and different <laughs> different requirements yeah. and, and, and things like that. Um, and interestingly, how much... Um, how much work do you guys do with um, sort of preparing founders for growth and for getting their uh, sort of mindset aligned to the, you know, the, the, the old maxim, what got you here won't get you there? Um, you know, how, how much sort of conversations do you have with them about, okay, when you hit your next round of funding, this is, this is how the business is going to change. This is the things that you need to start thinking about. Um, yeah, do, do, is that a conversation you have quite regularly and, and perhaps we'll start with, with Rachel on that one? I don't think we um, we do that enough yet. So um, I know that when we have our quarterly update uh, meetings with our portfolio companies, um, we talk to them about some key things such as, you know, milestones. We look at what they've learned about their customers that they didn't know before. And another big area is around the organization um, and any changes in talent. So those are the key areas. Um, I think that we are still trying to say, so, okay, I'm not going to give you a valuable answer. So you probably don't want to cut this part out, but we literally are still trying to find a way that um, our team can be more high touch in that area. So we don't do that sort of one-on-one -on -one just because we have such a high, uh, large number of uh, companies. Um, but what we do leverage are our partners, so our recruitment partners, we're always trying to engage and, and encourage our portfolio companies to, um, to, to get help and, and not be afraid to ask for help from our partners. Um, you know, we, we also have some preferred um, vendors in the organizational design consulting space. Again, you know, we really encourage our founders to, um, to talk to these experts and to learn um, you know, stuff that uh, founders at much later stages had already learned, <laughs> so they don't have to go through the pain. And, and Christian, for, for um, later stage, when we're going from, instead of from A to B, we're going maybe from B to C, um, does, does that differ much or have they, because they've already gone through so much change, they, the, the, the founders are a little bit better prepared for, for, for that? Yeah, um, I, I think that you're always evolving and I think there's always opportunities to add value and to prepare founders for different kind of evolutions of their, their company and different evolutions of, of teams. Um, I would say that, you know, one thing that I think that we do very well uh, is I work as part of a broader platform team um, and, you know, the way in which we work helps us identify how we can kind of help, you know, uh, uh, shed light on some of these areas. Um, you know, we provide uh, strategic um, uh, insights, you know, whether it be, you know, strategy and operations, business development, um, capital formation, or talent. So kind of all of us working together, you know, we're able to kind of see maybe common threads um, and be able to provide those, those areas of, of uh, support for our founders. Um I was I was going to jump in. Um, it's not necessarily. I mean, I I do try um, to help where I can on the on the talent side of things in terms of the getting them ready for growth. And and it's an area I'm quite passionate on in terms of I see a lot of problems with later stage companies um, 
that haven't um, prepared for the kind of scaling side of things, for that true growth um, side of things. Uh, and a lot of complaints from people who've been in those organizations um, where the, the, the structures haven't been put in place. Um, I, I, I kind of say it's the boring, I, I jokingly say it's the boring stuff, but it's like the, the finance operations, the HR operations, the kind of the broader marketing um, strategy, the, the proper sales operations side of things. These are something that every business has to have, um, whether they're in early stage or, or they're a corporate of 50, 60 years or whatever. Like, um, it, it's it's not necessarily the stuff that excites um, the initial leadership. That wasn't necessarily why they got into it. But if they really do want something to grow and they really do want to scale and hit the, the you know, if it is a drive for, for revenue or whatever and, and, and profitability, they really, and, and they want to make a sustainable business, they have to do this stuff. And it's a conversation that um, I think, uh, I tried to drive from a talent point of view, but it's something that I've witnessed our partners and um, the rest of our team consistently having from day one, um, consistently banging the drum of, okay, you're doing well. And of course we like you because we've invested in you and we believe in what you're doing, but you are not there yet. You are still building and you need to, um, you know, it, it's trying to just help them it's not telling them what to do necessarily. Um, it's far more about just giving them a heads up that this uh, certain challenge or problem at a certain point of growth or development, they're going to face this problem. We're not necessarily telling you there's one way to solve it and that's our way. And if you do it wrong, that's, that's it. But what I've witnessed from them helping these companies over the longer term um, is that there's always this, this, Helping to helping them to to think through a problem, helping them to think through the challenges that are going to come up ahead, um, because of course these founders who are in they're they're amazing people, but they um, they're focused on so many different things and the day to day operations um, in most cases, especially at an early stage. Um, that it's difficult for them sometimes to see that longer term picture. And the only thing that we benefit from is we've gone through this journey with so many companies again and again and again, that we can start to highlight, oh, we think you might gonna, you, in, a, in the next six months, you're probably gonna come up against this. Um, it, you know, if you don't get your PR in place now in two years time, you're gonna find X and Y, probably gonna find X and Y challenging. We don't force them to do it. It's just a case of guiding them towards that thinking. But I think it's really important, you know, that getting them to put the structures in place because so many businesses that go through that arduous journey of fundraising and getting to that later stage falter um, at that later stage. And they were the, you know, a lot of them were the exciting names of the day. And then suddenly two years later, they, you hear that they died. Why? Because they didn't put a lot, often it's because they didn't put those structures in place and the, they lose control and the whole thing falls apart. Um, so it's really, really important. We'd rather they grow a little slower um, and focus on that structuring um, and walk them, you know, hold their hand while they're going through that sometimes. Um, but make sure that they're doing that rather than chasing headlines and fundraising, fundraising, fundraising their way out of problems, um, because that is an unsustainable um, route to, to growth. 
It's fascinating. And I think the, um, you know, if you speak to anyone that specializes in uh, sort of turnarounds or um, sort of <laughs> sort of business rescue or, you know, anybody that's brought in to, to, to steer the ship, whether it's a project or in a bank or whether it's a, a, a startup, that I think, you know, the common theme that you always get from these guys is that it's so much easier to build this in at the start than have to try and retro retrofit it to the uh, to the organization. It sounds like there's um, perhaps a gap in the market for a COO as a service or something like that. So um, like the A-team sort of flying in to fix, fix things before before you go through the next round of funding. Um, and okay, so moving on, um, and in danger of sounding entirely self-serving, um, at what point should you sort of think that your founders should consider using using third parties and uh, never never <laughs> never you okay. self-serving right. selfish <laughs> is that what this was all about sam i can't believe it uh, podcast is cancelled guys um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so and, and i know there's a lot of different options and i think there's more and more sort of um, disruptive options as well now you've got sort of tech companies moving into this space you've got contingent agencies you've got search you've got a bunch of different things but you know at what point do you really advise your your um your co-founders to your founders to go out for um for sort of third-party help yeah uh this is a good this is a really good question um you know it's interesting because i tend to work with companies that have a talent acquisition team so when you have a talent acquisition team in place it tends to be more difficult to justify going externally when you've hired a team to deliver on exactly what you would be looking, you know, for a vendor or, or an agency to be able to deliver on. I think you just have to weigh up what is a priority for you. Um, I think you need to look at, um, you know, is time something that you're looking to solve for? And do you have individuals uh, on your team who are capable of hiring somebody quickly, um, have done it in the past, um, and would be able to deliver the same type of um, experience, process, candidate, um, and get them at the same quality that somebody, you know, externally specializes in. So I think you just have to kind of weigh the pros and cons of, do I have the right people and do I have enough time? And, you know, what are going to be the trade-offs here if I don't get this person on board or can I take my time? And, and, you know, that might just kind of, uh, can bring you from one, you know, place to the other where, you know, I have the, I don't really, I'm not time bound by this. It's an aspirational hire. Um, you know, it's something my team can take a stab at if they haven't done it before. Um, and it's something where, you know, we can learn together. Um, or maybe, you know, you are time bound. Um, you know, I think also um, recognizing that maybe your team hasn't done it as well, you know, learning from experts or individuals who can specialize in those areas. I think, again, depends on what your, what your needs are. Um, I think the, the question really that I pose back to the group is not necessarily when you're time bound, but when you're resource bound. Mm -hmm. And that's often the pushback that I, that I see the most is, you know, we have a team or even if we don't have a team, we don't have the budget. Um, but I think when you help a founder break down the cost for that hire, again, how much time you're spending, the resources of the existing team, whether that's, you know, searching for someone or that's interviewing and you're, you know, coming up against a wall, how much time you want to take away from doing other things that also might help you pick, you know, do I kind of can remain uh, with this, you know, looking for this role in house or do I go externally? Um, because that, that will add up as well if you're spending a lot of time. 
I guess for the early stage businesses, how do you navigate something like that? Particularly if you've got a, you know, a particularly exotic technology, uh, early stage technology company, and they need they need somebody that specialises in, I don't know, lasers or something something NASA esque or you know, so quantum entanglement or something crazy like that. Um, how um, how what, what's how do you strike a balance there, and how how do you sort of think about that? Um... Look, I think for early stage companies, I absolutely do think that there is a place for agencies, um, absolutely for the key hires. So, um, look, I think um, at earlier stage, you're not um, hiring probably quite as at the rate of a later stage company. So there are some, um, certain key roles um, and those are the roles that you should consider. Not saying that um, you shouldn't, you know, explore your own networks, not saying that you shouldn't explore your own referrals. Um, but typically, I think I would advise for founders to consider a um, third party vendors when they've, um, let's say they've had a role open for a while and they haven't had any luck, um, they've exhausted all the other channels, um, or even that at the get go, they know it's a very niche role and it's a tough to um, fill role. So um, they, they don't have the um, professional sort of experience recruiter in-house to help um, execute that process. They should engage a professional like a third party agency. Um, and what I find these days is that I really like these um, um, agencies um, in the market that really tailor their cost structure for early stage companies and they're um, able to kind of um, tailor their solutions around what the needs of their clients, their early stage clients are. I, do, I didn't really want to get into a, a fee negotiation during a podcast, but you know, I, I'm never <laughs> that far away. If you had some ideas, Sam, that'd be fun. <laughs> um, I, I, I want to jump in. Uh, I mean, I, I, I was in, the, uh, I, I was that third party for several years. Um, and I know like the, like the, the, the constant objections you'll get from, from early stage companies, particularly in my last three years of, um, of hiring. And I was, you know, hiring in um, specialist roles. Um, it's, do they have the resources? It's usually the, the resources are the problem um, in the before they've they've really gone out to VC hire uh, VC for funding. After they've got their first um, their first bit of funding, they they should be starting to engage, for, especially for for senior roles or for those roles which are super tricky to hire, particularly engineering roles in the region. Um, they they should be looking at the same time as using a part like uh, as as sorry as trying to uh, get a, a recruiter into the business um, after that that first bit of funding's come in um, also looking to partner because for us um, and for them speed um, speed is important um, and if their next goal is to you know, get a product out or get to a next level of fundraising or get to a certain size of revenue, whatever it is, um, all of that usually entails fairly rapid hiring. There are a few exclusions to that, but most of it, include, it, it should involve fairly um, rapid hiring. It's not when, um, to me, it's not when should you bring in um, the outside support, it's how much of it you should be bringing in. Um, what roles you should be um, uh, bringing them in for. I've had some where they're outsourcing all of their roles 
um, to to recruiters, and I'm not going to give the name out of that company because everyone will jump on me. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think it's wise because they're not building they're not building the uh, their own capability on that side of things, um, on the recruiting side of things. Um, uh, on the flip side, we get some who will not you engage with recruiters. They feel that they can do it all themselves. There is one one founder out of our entire portfolio, one founder who is amazing. At, he will add like while he's having his breakfast in the morning he'll add 20 people on linkedin every day he'll religiously message people out and actually having the founder do some recruiting themselves can be extremely powerful um but even he reached a state like he got the company to 45 50 um and even he got to a point where he was like i really for some of these roles these technical roles or or quite niche roles um, not necessarily lasers, Sam. He wasn't looking for lasers, um, but he was—he uh, he did need support and just wanted to know, you know, the pricing and what would be be relevant. That to me, like that—that's the perfect founder for me in terms of that kind of approach. Um, it should be the founders are involved with the hiring on a, a gently on a on a, a weekly basis, as it were. Um, you should you should be impact, having your recruiter. Um, building up your recruitment function gradually over time. Um, but yes, use outside network. Like you don't have the, 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 the truth of it is you don't have all of these networks. Um, and often um, we, we get companies who have hired their first 10 people off their, their own network. And that's been quite easy. And, they, and, and there's this uh, crazy idea that that's scalable. And of course it's not scalable. Um, to a, to a larger extent because you knew these people through your network so your networks are going to be quite similar so you're going to like it's very difficult to break out of that and get those people who don't have your experience um so that's where you you know it's really useful to have these third parties in recruitment or whatever um to to help complement the business and it's useful getting used to the engagement earlier on as I say, choosing which roles to work on with a company, even if it doesn't work out, or even selfishly, if you're you're working on the assignment at the same time as the recruiter, get used to that engagement is what we what we encourage with our founders. Okay, interesting, and I think it's probably worth me mentioning at this point that the the lasers comment was more more of my sort of. Um, enjoyment of sci-fi than any sort of professional network that i built up so <laughs> oh that's very disappointing <laughs> i'm sure i can find you one though um... <laughs>